Welcome to the Grazing Grass Podcast, episode 21 with Daniel Rose of Grassroots Ranch. Seeing it at the scale or where you'd like it to be at um, and being able to work backwards from there to know where to start and exactly how to start, I think is probably the most significant thing. Um, You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast. Helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. On today's episode, we're talking with Daniel Rose of Grassroots Ranch. He didn't grow up on a farm, but he found his passion on a farm. He read Joel Salatin's book, You Can Farm, and that's just what he did. Daniel, we want to welcome you to the Grazing Grass Podcast. We're excited you're here. Well, thank you for having me. Daniel, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your operation? Yeah. Uh, so my wife and I started Grassroots Ranch um, back in 2014. Um, and we uh, started uh, just just north of downtown Tulsa. We were actually only uh, 15 minutes from downtown. Um, and so we kind of got to enjoy uh, starting out but still being close to town. Um and uh, we, from the start, made it our goal to um, try to provide kind of the full spectrum of, of meats for customers um, and sell it all retail. And so we do uh, grass-fed beef, uh, forested pork, pastured chicken, and uh, pastured free-range um, eggs as well. Um, and we we sell all that online. We, we've also done the, the farmer's market, um, although we didn't do that this past year. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we, we now, uh, sell pretty well exclusively online and we, and we do home delivery. Um, and, uh, so we've grown quite a bit. We started, um, with just, uh, a few cows, few chickens. Um, and, uh, we were on about, uh, I guess there was maybe only 20 or 30 acres of pasture, um, at our original place. And, and we've now moved on to a, a larger property uh, a second lease um that's uh about 15 times the size of our uh, first oh, one yeah. so we're we're definitely growing into it very nice now when you started in 2014 did you have a farm background at that point no not at all i uh i have no um farming background nobody in my family had any sort of agricultural background um this was all uh completely new the the closest thing that i had was um i i did a lot of uh of camping um and outdoor stuff in in uh, high school i did boy scouts um and one of the i guess more fascinating parts of it was was survival camping and stuff like that um so living off the land and that's kind of what what uh led me into uh looking into agriculture and just kind of that uh you know producing your own your own food and uh, anything else oh yes when when you decided to produce your own food have a farm what process did you go through did you um and what i'm thinking is how'd you educate yourself and then how'd mm-hmm. you get your first livestock and farm yeah uh so what um i guess first made me kind of take that leap from um uh, looking at just, you know, living off the land to agriculture was, uh, my friend, uh, lent me a book, uh, from Joel Salatin, um, uh, you can farm. And, oh, uh, yeah. and so I, I quickly read through that and definitely was, you know, inspired to, you know, uh, kind of start things up from the, um, 
from from nothing. And so uh, from there, uh, I uh, I interned on a uh, sheep farm uh, just north about uh, uh, 45 minutes north of Tulsa um, and got a, a little bit of experience and, and just kind of my um, yeah, feet wet there. And then um, I was able to find uh, uh, 10 acres that I could that somebody was generous enough to let me um, put some sheep on and I bought 10 sheep and um, raised them on there uh, for a bit. And uh, then from there uh, happened upon um, the lease where we started the ranch at, which was north of Tulsa with a bit more land. And that's where we, um, you know, were able to get a few cows and some chickens and pigs and, and kind of start to, to grow it there. Now you, you're not doing sheep currently. Uh, no, no. Um, so we, yeah, we started with sheep. Uh, I bought 10, uh, uh, wool sheep. Um, and, um, then, uh, kind of quickly got tired of, of having to shear them. Um, oh, yeah. and, uh, bought some more, um, Katahdin sheep, some hair sheep. Um, and, uh, then when we moved on to our new property, um, I think by that time, let's say, I guess we did, we did buy a few more sheep there, but had, had grown it about to about a hundred sheep there um and uh we were trying to do direct market you know uh sell whole lambs and um but we just kind of struggled with finding uh, enough enough interest there um because it was oh, yeah. just kind of word of mouth and, and email at that point um and so but we you know got plenty of people asking about you know eggs and chicken and you know the stuff oh yeah uh, is, is much more common in the states and so uh yeah we decided at that point it was maybe best to shift and um did away with the sheep uh at that point um which we still you know would love to get back into sheep again and hope to you know maybe as early as next year because it was definitely a, a, a lot of fun in lambing season just seeing all the, oh, all yeah. the lambs running around and everything um but uh, yeah, from there we we kind of shifted and went towards more of, uh, uh, I guess, the uh, conventional products. Right, uh, marketing in Oklahoma, uh, beef and <laughs> pork's a little bit more um, culturally aware. <laughs> yeah, since then I've come across a few people who um, you know have have had really great success with with uh, sheep or goats, but um, you know they have to kind of have that um that in with with a really niche market um but yeah yeah i find uh especially with my goats mm -hmm. um, people's like why do you raise them <laughs> <laughs> okay so you're not my market yeah yeah so when you first got those sheep on on the 10 acres were you using uh regenerative practices were you using planned grazing um, we quickly started to, or, you know, work towards setting that up. You know, we, we tried yeah. to set up some electric fences, um, with kind of mixed success. Uh, you know, we didn't really have a way to train the sheep to an electric fence. And so, you know, yeah, it, it didn't work out too well, but, um, right. we, right. uh, I think we ended up subdividing that with more permanent fences, some using some, uh, field fence and and trying to do some bit of rotational grazing um because when we, as soon as we get on there we um uh well uh, i guess for one horses had been on there for for a long time um uh, just kind of continuous grazing that and so there was a lot of weeds uh 
Thistle had really popped up and was, was Hell, yes. encroaching in pretty rapidly. And so we, we were trying to look at yeah ways we could do that, but also do it naturally. Um, and so that was, we um, got to get some experience or got some start in time trying to do rotational grazing there. I think sheep's a great starter an, animal in that uh, with the big cabot there is electric fences with sheep sometimes <laughs> takes some work. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, something we we figured out later, and uh, eventually we got you know pretty successful at it. I think the key there is definitely having a, a pen or something set up to train them to it. Um, oh yeah, uh, and and having a that we had we had no luck with the wool sheep. They they always were able to figure out how to get get through there, and you know they were pretty well insulated from. Yes, it. Yes, they are. <laughs> so, so then you moved to you you've got when you moved north of town and a little bit bigger um, acreage, were you still sheep at that point or did you start introducing cattle and poultry at that point? Uh, yeah, we, we still, um, we still were doing sheep. Um, I think even at that point we actually still had both the wool sheep and, and the hair sheep. Oh, yeah. um, and then I think the next thing we did uh, was uh, uh, we bought just a handful of chickens. Um, Cause again, we, my wife and I had no experience in that. And so we, we only started with, you know, uh, about 10 and uh, just, you know, to figure out what we, what we don't know. Um, and then um, I believe our next purchase after that were the cows, which the person who owned the property helped us out on that purchase. As far as, um, uh, you know, we, we told them we, we wanted to, uh, you know, help manage the property using the cattle um, and, uh, they were willing to kind of, uh, put the money up for that to get, you know, their, their own beef out of it at the end of it. Um, so that oh, worked yeah. out well and, and it was kind of a, and, and that's one of the reasons we went with sheep to begin with as well is just lower capital and, um, oh, so yes. grow, grow rapidly. Um, and, uh, but, uh, yeah, so we, we pretty quickly kind of piled everything on, which I don't know if that was actually probably the best way to do things. Um, it was, a very big learning curve and having to do that with every aspect of, of livestock, um, was, was a lot. Um, and I feel like probably only within the, within the last couple of years, we've, we've kind of caught back up to where I, you know, um, w- would like to be as far as, um, being pretty, pretty well educated and, and having a good understanding of how to effectively race, um, all those classes of livestock. I understand you there, Daniel. My wife gets on <laughs> me for jumping into the deep end all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I tend to go out and, and try to do it before actually reading anything about it. <laughs> you learn quickly though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So, so you got a few cows. Did you, mm-hmm. um, what kind of cows did you get to start with? Uh, I think, um, that first year, I think we went with, uh, we bought some roping cattle. Um, oh, yes. A li- little embarrassed to say. Um, like I said, you know, I tend to go into it before reading anything about it um, and looking back and just, you know, kind of laugh at it. But, um, yeah, we, we kind of, uh, I guess, starting out, we had the mentality of, you know, go the opposite direction of, of conventional. And so, you know, we were like, well, we, then we shouldn't do Angus, you know, or, or beef type. We should do something that's, you know, very, 
you know, supposed to be very well adapted and um, right hardy and all of that. Um, and so, yeah, we went with uh, some roping cattle. Um, it's like Longhorn Coriente mix. Um, and uh, they probably weighed, uh, oh, I don't know, 400 pounds. And we probably paid too much for them. And I think they probably only weighed about 450 pounds the next year when we sold them. So, oh, yes. uh, uh, not, yeah, not, not the best, uh, start there. Um, and, uh, kind of each year we, we've gradually moved, I guess, further and further or closer and closer back to, you know, the main, uh, mainstream there. And, um, oh, yes. but, um, yeah, that was our first, our first purchase of cattle. And, um, we, we, you know, advertised it as grass fed and, and because uh, you know we we you know did tried to do rotational grazing there and, and raise them strictly on grass, um, and uh, the grass there was was pretty marginal the first year there we had a lot of uh, a lot of ragweed um, western ragweed um, and uh, it kind of shaded out most of everything I think I remember that first year it being about six feet tall where the cattle would go into it and you couldn't oh, see yeah. um, and uh, so, uh, yeah, we didn't, didn't put a whole lot of weight on those cows. Um, but, uh, we, we did, you know, our, we, we realized that year that we had customers that truly their, their main, uh, focus was, you know, natural grass fed beef, um, and beef that's extremely lean. <laughs> that's ex- exactly what we, we sold. Um, it was maybe a little bit tough and kind of all had to be cooked in a, a crock pot, but, um, <laughs> But we had a number of those customers, you know, come back the the next year wanting more grass-fed beef. Um, And so we we have continued on from there. Well, very good. Uh, Jumping on those roping cow or corriente, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I'm saying that correct. Uh, Someone I was talking to was talking about breeding those with South Pole. Mm -hmm. And they make a nice uh, grazing animal. Yeah. Um, In fact, they promoted it well enough that i've been looking at craigslist yeah yeah no i i'd imagine so and that's something that um you know i i think where i'm at now is um well i'll say where i was at before was kind of starting with something like a coriente herd and and you know wanting to breed into beef genetics but i think i might have kind of be on the opposite side of that now of um still would love to dabble and um you know adding in genetics like like coriante and stuff like that for the you know heat tolerance and and all of that um but yeah i i even i think for a little while I was you know kind of found the list of uh you know all the certified coriante producers in oklahoma and oh yeah wanted to go out and check out all of their operations and but yeah so what kind of cattle are you running now uh right now we have um mostly south pole steers actually um oh and, okay mm-hmm. um yeah we've, we've done a number of different uh breeds we, we, well we don't we don't breed any of our cattle um so you buy uh, all feeders or stalkers mm-hmm. yeah um yes. we uh because we've been on uh lease property and kind of um haven't always uh i guess known exactly what our um uh pasture availability will be um we we have we've put on hold um buying um any breeding stock um but uh yeah we've we've done uh you know the corrientes we've done um black angus 
um, and we've done uh, the South Pole cattle. Um, and um, yeah, uh, we've got South Pole right now. Um, and uh, let's see, I think last year we did Black Angus heifers. This year we did South Pole steers. Um, and seeing the difference has been, it's been, you know, a lot of, a lot of learning there. Um, uh, you know, there's definitely a difference in heat tolerance um, as far as the, the South Pole being able to, to be out in the, the heat a bit more than the Black Angus. Um, oh, yes. Um, and I guess I should also say we also have some uh, heifers that are uh, a British white um, Mashona cross. Um, oh, that, okay. Uh, a neighbor of ours, um, he does grass-fed cow-calf operations. So we, we buy heifers off of him each year um, and uh, been happy with those. Um uh, I can definitely say that having to, or I guess finishing out the the heifers, it was quite a bit easier than, than the steers. Um, it's been a little bit more of a challenge. And, and also we had uh, uh, a bit more of a challenge in transitioning from one property to the, to the next. We, we just moved on to the current property that we're on um, about a year ago, um, pretty well last February. Um, and so uh, it's been an, an adjustment kind of, getting fences and things like that set up here and, and also learning the different types of grass and um, even just kind of figuring out what, what's really available there. Talking about your current place and getting it set up, what kind of fencing was on the place and what do you have now? Uh, when we got here, um, it was uh, subdivided into um, a number of, uh, trying to, probably about, four different pastures um for the most part uh anywhere from maybe about 50 acres to uh 120 acres um and um all of it was pretty well kind of dilapidated uh barbed wire fence um some of it you know was able to hold cows and some of it wasn't um and so pretty quick we were we we set off to try to replace as much of the interior fencing with just single strand, uh, electric fence. Um, and we, we just use a, uh, uh, 12 gauge aluminum wire, um, and have used the TPOs that we pull up from the, uh, old barbed wire fences and, um, have, have run that, um, in as much, as many areas as we can. Um, and, uh, uh, gotten almost there i think we'll be able to finish up kind of subdividing um uh the, the all the area that we currently use um this winter and, and we'll be i think set up to be a lot more successful this uh this coming year do you have a goal with your interior fencing are you trying to make uh pastures a certain size or are you trying to make them so you can use poly wire with them what's your plan yeah, so um, trying to get them set up to where we can subdivide them with, uh, yeah, poly wire. Um, so we also use that, um, uh, you know, this, this past year, because we didn't have any electric fence or even wires kind of going out into different areas, um, we uh, kind of just did a little bit of rotational grazing, but pretty well it was just continuous grazing. And so now we're trying to get that down to uh, as, as small an area as, as, as we can, you know, I think, uh, recommended grazing is, um, I want to think it's 24,000 pounds per acre or something like that. So trying to, uh, get it down to where we can subdivide areas into that, that size. Oh yeah. 
And so, you know, like we've taken a number of say 40 acre areas and we'll, we'll divide that in half to where there's two kind of uh, rectangular 20 acre um, sections. So we can use those, that poly wire to subdivide it down even smaller and really get um, intensive grazing um, through, oh, through yeah. pastures. So uh, part of that is just from also trying to manage uh, um, a lot of the weeds and stuff out here and, and wanting to get it. We, we spent a lot of time last year brush hogging and uh, I'd like to spend less time this year doing that and hopefully right. get more of that accomplished through grazing. So what kind of forages do you have on your land? Um, and I realize it's fairly early in, in your management there. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what we have, we definitely have a, a pretty big variety, um, and a little bit of background, um, from, from what I can gather on the property we're on now is that it's, um, I guess years ago, a good part of it was cultivated. Um, I think they, they grew wheat and alfalfa and things like that. Um, and then since then, as far as I know, at least the last 10 years, it's pretty well all been um, hayed uh, without oh, yeah. any sort of uh, applications or supplementation. And so uh, pretty pretty well, uh, pretty worn down pasture. Uh, when we got here, it was um, lacking in, in kind of any sort of cool season grasses just because of it constantly being mowed down so short. Um, and so, uh, one grass that, yeah, definitely predominant here is, uh, broom sedge, oh, uh, yes. which we didn't really have at our previous property. And so I wasn't really aware of it. Um, you know, during the growing season, it looks almost identical to blue stem. Um, and so, uh, for a little bit there, I was kind of excited that we had, you know, nice thick blue stem pastures oh, yes. and then, uh, realized that for some reason the cattle wouldn't touch them, uh, and so uh, that was a bit disappointing. And actually, that would be a letdown. Yes, it would. It it, it did really set us back uh, over the winter last year. And one of the big errors that I made was not getting our our hay uh, tested um, because when we kind of moved on here, they had they had um, one of the neighbors had had bailed the property. Um, we did a share, and they left us some of the hay and. Um, Again, thinking it was, you know, blue stem mix, um, thought it would be, you know, pretty, pretty decent hay. Um, but yeah, only, only realizing this year it was pretty much all broom sedge. And, um, so kind of shed light on why, uh, we did not have much success last year in keeping our cattle, um, you know, well fed, oh, uh, yeah. but, uh, um, yeah, so we got a lot of blues or a lot of, uh, broom sedge, which we're trying to um, kind of, um, cut back, uh, through brush hogging, uh, grazing. Um, and then, uh, we've had a lot of, uh, of cool season grasses pop up just through this past year through allowing, oh, very uh, nice. we didn't, we didn't, uh, bail anything. And so just through kind of going one year without bailing, we saw, uh, a lot of, uh, cool season grasses like fescue and, um, clovers pop up in the pasture. Um, and, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty happy to see that, you know, pretty quickly that, that those seeds were there and just, you know, giving it the ability to pop up that they, um, came in. Uh, we've also got Johnson grass. Um, we do have some, uh, a little bit of, uh, actual blue stem. 
remember seeing some Cerisa Lespediza um, out in the pasture. Hell yeah. Let's see, another grass that's new to us uh, was giant ragweed. We didn't have that um, where we were at north, uh, northern Oklahoma. But um, so that's been a, 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 an interesting, I guess, uh, challenge to, to um, I say, deal with it. It seemed like the, that we were able to graze it pretty well, but it did get out of control. And uh, brush hogging that down with it being, I mean, at least eight feet tall was was quite a chore. Um, oh, yeah. And so it, it definitely got ahead of us. But um, but when we did graze the cattle through, they seemed to, to graze it pretty well. I, I tried to find out what the kind of um, uh, feed value of uh, of it was, but wasn't able to find much information online. But uh, But, yeah. Oh, yeah. The cows strip the leaves off of it mm-hmm. and leave the stems. Yeah. 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 Um, and then, uh, let's see, Bermuda grass. And anywhere that we, you know, had mowed down or had kind of the cattle had come through and grazed, we, we started to see quite a bit of Bermuda grass come up as well. Have you um, tried to broadcast any seed or anything, or you're just uh, seeing all those species through management? Uh, we have not not broadcast anything. Um, okay. So all that's been, been through management. Um and, uh, you know, kind of unintentionally, but, uh, you know, some pastures we weren't able to graze until much later in the year. And so we, you know, we, I guess we allowed that seed bank to, to expand a bit this year and letting a lot of things go to seed, um, uh, especially in pastures where it was, um, pretty, pretty bare. Um, and so hopefully that'll oh, be, yeah. uh, beneficial, um. I did, we did try one experiment this past year, um, which was, uh, we tried, uh, with our, our chickens, uh, and our pigs as well. Uh, it started from trying to find a cheaper feed source, um, and seeing if we could buy grains in bulk, but then we didn't want to have to purchase a, uh, a grinder to be able to, um, uh, you know, grind that up to where the pigs and chickens could actually digest it. And so one of the things we found was that, um, I guess with the modern varieties of millet and milo, uh, you can actually feed those whole grains to chickens and pigs without really any oh, sort yes. of negative effects. Um, and so we would feed that to our, our broiler chickens and um, with uh, kind of the intent of seeing how much success we could have with planting it, basically whatever falls on the ground, whatever they waste, um, having that planted and fertilize behind the chickens. Um, and actually did have a decent success with that. Um, we kind of stumbled upon it last year when we got some, uh, feed that had some whole corn kernels in it and found that, uh, unintentionally planted, uh, corn in our, our pastures and, and the cattle grazed on it, um, you know, really well. And, uh, <clears throat> and so we, we tried to further that. So we did do, I guess, a little bit of, uh, planting and, um, Worked fairly well. It was, it was kind of a fun experiment to do. Yeah, it's very nice. Now, on your chickens, are they grazing the same pasture that you're running your cattle across? Yeah, yeah. Um, we've been trying to get them over as much ground as possible um, to try to get fertility back. Um, and so uh, we've we've got the the meat chickens, which we're doing like mobile range coops. Um, oh yeah, kind of like uh, hoop houses. Um, and then our, our laying hens, um, which they're, uh, also in a mobile coop, but it's, it's, uh, more of, uh, I guess like a trailer on wheels. And, um, and so we, uh, uh, have a much wider area where they can 
run and or forage. Um, and we've tried to, yeah, try to get them to cover as much ground as possible um, in order to, to get that fertility back. Um, and ideally we'd like to, you know, run them in, in sync with the cattle grazing. Um, this year we weren't really able to do that based on just not being able to uh, very um, strategically graze the cattle in certain areas, but um, hopefully this, this coming year we'll be able to, to get to that a little bit more. How many uh, chickens are you raising? Uh, we do, um, our laying hens, we do about 500 laying hens. Um, oh, yes. Um, is, is what we keep throughout the year. And then our meat chickens, we do uh, batches of, of 1,000 uh, at, at the moment. And so that usually ends up being about seven, uh, seven or eight batches a year. Oh, okay. How big are your hoop houses for your meat chickens? Um, let's see. I think they're, they're 20 feet wide and uh i think 36 feet long just under 40 feet but oh okay did you did you build those off some plans online or did you uh come up with your plan for that uh no so we ordered they they came as a kit um oh okay I believe we got those from cob creek farms um and um i think there's another company out there um that uh i think they're out of missouri uh, that they also produce um produce them as a as a kit essentially that you can um they'll ship them to you and you essentially just put it all put it all together oh very nice and your um egg layers they're in a trailer is it kind of the same thing uh so no that i did build myself um the trailer um uh, is is uh uh, an old cotton wagon frame. So instead of just having like uh, the axles in the middle, it's freestanding. Um, oh yes. Axles at either end of it. Right. And it's about uh, 10 feet wide and 40 feet long. Um, Was it that long to begin with? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, they've been interesting trying to handle those. And also it was uh, getting that transported from our old farm to our new farm. Um, oh, I bet. Uh, but uh yeah, uh, they um, came with just like a sheet metal floor, and so I took that off of that, and we put some uh, essentially expanded metal on there so it was open so the manure would fall through, um, and then built the, the structure on top of that. Um, and so uh, we've got rollaway nest boxes so we can collect the eggs from the outside, and um, they just uh, uh, go up a ramp at, at the end and um, put some roosts in there and everything. And it's It's worked really well. I've been really happy with it um kind of i've seen other people use the schooners the the mobile range coops for laying hens yes. as well um at our old place it was not very open there was a lot of uh uh i guess low runoff areas and stuff like that so that's kind of why we went with uh something on 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 wheels there so we could pretty much close up the chickens and move them um move them anywhere on the property that we needed to um uh, kind of around obstacles and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. So you let them free range during the day and close them up at night? Um, yeah, we uh, we don't actually close them up um, anymore. We uh, we use uh, some electric netting. Oh, okay. And, uh, and then we also have a uh, Great Pyrenees out there with them. And so uh, between those two things, uh, pretty well eliminated any sort of uh, uh, predator issues. Um and so uh, we haven't had to kind of worry about making sure to, to open up the coop or close it up at night, um, which has been pretty nice. Yeah, that's 
That's a lot of work, even though it's just opening and closing it. It's night and morning every day. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the dependency that's uh, that will wear on you for sure. Um, we used to do oh, that yes. when when we had our we had them when we first did chickens. We had them in a stationary coop by the house, but we also did that with the sheep too. We would pen them up at night, and so yeah, just oh yeah, uh, yeah. Having having to know that every every single day you'd have to you know make sure you were up to open them and there that night to to put them up. Right. On your electric netting around it, how many pieces of electric netting are you using? Uh, four. Um, it, four. Oh, okay. So one aside, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we use, uh, I think they come in typically two different lengths. Uh, we use the shorter, I think it's just a hundred feet. Um, oh, okay. And uh, so it's a little bit, a little bit easier to manage still, still kind of frustrating to have yeah. to mess with it. But um, yeah, we uh, just have, four sides and we actually let's see i think in total we have seven seven pieces so that we set up this the next pin uh when we move them um so when we go out to move them we we take out the separating fence and just move them all forward so they're contained at all times oh, yeah. um, so that we don't have to chase chickens around as much yeah that's a good idea <laughs> i i see uh, I think Justin Rhodes videos on YouTube and him taking up the netting and he is so much better than I am at taking <laughs> up netting. No one needs to film me doing it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's probably one of my, I was, I was hoping we'd figure out a, some way to do away with the netting, but we have, have yet to be able to do that without losing quite a few chickens. Oh yes. Yes. In addition to your beef cows and your poultry, you also have hogs. Mm-hmm. How are you managing them? Uh, so we uh, use electric fence as well. Um, now are you using electrical netting with them or poly braid or uh, your aluminum wire? Just just aluminum wire. Um, oh, okay. well, well, actually, we're going to start using poly braid. Um, uh, this, well, we, we actually just started using it uh, last week with them. Um, but uh, up until that point, uh, it was just two... Uh, two strand aluminum wire. Um, now we did have to, uh, we built a, a wooden pen um, and ran a wire around the base of it in order to train the pigs there before we would oh, put yes. them out into um, any sort of area to uh, to graze them. Um, but as, as long as they're trained, um, I mean, we've, we've never lost a pig. Um, even when they get out, they don't, they don't go anywhere. They, they know where they get the food at. And so they, they don't tend to venture off. Um, and, uh, I think, um, we've actually wouldn't, now that we're doing the poly braid, we've lowered that down to where we're just doing a single dividing wire between the pigs, um, and have, uh, been able to do that successfully. Um, so I don't, I'm not even sure that two wires is really fully necessary for them. Um, oh, yeah. but, um, but yeah, we, we raise them in the forest. Um, our, uh, old place uh was the the ground was pretty rocky um it was pretty most of the half the property was a hillside that was just kind of uh shrub oak and um hickory and things like that and we we raised those pigs in in that area um and tried to rotate them as at least once a month uh to a new area um i think we probably had four or five uh paddocks set up um and then, uh, but the uh, property we're leasing now, um, actually uh, part of it, about a hundred acres of it is uh, an established pecan orchard. Um, oh, okay. Uh, it's been 
uh, let go. Um, so there's, it's, it'll be something that we, we were hoping to, um, I guess, utilize, actually produce something from this, this coming year, but we'll, we've got quite a bit of cleanup we need to do with it. Um, but we have fenced off part of it to run the pigs through, um, and, oh, yeah. um, you know, hoping to use that to manage, um, uh, the, the forage there. Um, that's kind of been the prime, that was the primary area where we had, um, uh, uh, giant ragweed. And so we're hoping that we're, we're, we've got them on a, uh, one week rotation now. So every, every week we move them to a new spot. Um, and are hoping with that, that we can manage the, the ragweed quite a bit better. Um, and then, um, as we move into, I guess the pecan production season, um, we'll, we'll move them kind of out of there, um, to allow for, for that and hoping that we can do both simultaneously, um, without any sort of negative oh, effects. Yes. Um, just because it's, uh, you know, super happy, uh, when we, when we found this lease, um, especially about the pecan orchard that says to me, that was kind of always the, the ideal scenarios to be able to finish hogs and, uh, and pecan orchards. And so, uh, oh, yeah. uh, I'm, you know, excited to continue well, working on that. Very nice. Now, one thing we didn't talk about with any of those species was your watering situation. Mm -hmm. how, how are you watering your animals? Uh, currently, uh, we are transporting the water. Um, oh, okay. So uh, I hope to, you know, upgrade to to you know having water lines in the future. Um, really looking forward to that. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you are. <laughs> <laughs> at the moment, uh, well, initially we just did. Um, one of those IBC totes, the, the like oh, okay. 300 gallon IBC totes. We would put those on the forks of the tractor and uh, fill that up and drive it out to, you know, whether it was the, the cows, the pigs or chickens. But um, that got to be um, quite a bit of work because uh, we weren't able to transport much water. So this, this year we got a, a uh, like a hay wagon and put a uh, 500 gallon tank on it um, and then put a pump a, a like a trash pump on that um, so that uh, we could pump that water out pretty quickly. Um, and so we've been using that to transport the water around and have been using like a, a range drinker for the pigs, um, the cows, um, just a, uh, I think it's a 400 gallon um, uh, steel trough. Oh yeah. The laying hens, we use those same IBC tanks and we just put the, uh, the, little red poultry drinkers just right into the side of that, uh, screw oh, okay. the holes into that. And so, um, that's been incredibly helpful, uh, as far as, cause you know, we can keep 300 gallons of water out there and it seems to one, one tank seems to be enough to, uh, get enough water or have enough space for, um, the entire flock. Um, and then, um, for our meat chickens, we have one of those IBC tanks on another hay wagon that we, drag behind the coops and then just run a hose into the coop into a, uh, oh, yeah. a PVC pipe where we put those red drinkers uh, into the PVC pipe so they can access it there. All sounds like you have a, a plan and doing a good job with that, but I do see where you get some piping in there. You'll be pretty happy with that. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we'll save quite a bit of time there. And, and it has a, uh, it has limited us on, on the cattle at the moment um, and trying to figure out how to, um, cause we have quite a bit of pasture that we, we can graze. Um, the biggest challenge right now is uh, going to be 
how to effectively graze it and get water to all of those cattle um, oh, at the yes. same time. Um, so kind of right now I'm working on a, a plan for that of, you know, if we're going to uh, try to do alleyways leading to different ponds or things like that. Um, and yeah, try to figure out the best, best method there. Oh yes. Where do you see your farm going in the future? What's your goals? Um, our goals, uh, is, um, at the moment to, to kind of just continue to refine our process. Um, you know, we, I, I, you know, very happy with where we're at with, uh, our, our meat chickens and, and our laying hens, um, and just the, the quality that we're able to, um, continue to produce on a consistent basis. Um, and also our pigs, I'd like to move our pigs more towards, um, just forage, um, and, replacing as much, uh, supplemental feed as possible. Uh, that's kind of where I see improvement there. Um, but as far as quality on our pork, I'm, I'm extremely happy with it. Um, it's, uh, a completely difference for, uh, different product from what our customers, what, yeah, what our customers are used to getting in the store and, um, always get really good response on, on, on our pork products. Um, and then beef is definitely, the biggest area where I, I think we, we can continue to grow and expand, um, both in, both in quantity and in quality. Um, oh, yes. I think, uh, grass fed beef was probably the, uh, area that I underestimated the most in, in going into to all of this. Um, and that, uh, you really are working with well, a lot of moving parts when trying to, um, get the proper nutrition for, for a cow to be able to get, consistent, reliable gains and end up with a, a quality product that um, customers will really be happy with. Um, and to do that throughout the year, um, that, uh, there's a lot of challenges there that uh, I can definitely see that we can uh, continue to grow in. Um, but yeah, for the most part, it'll just be refining our, our processes and expanding and kind of filling out this, this property we're on. You know, I, I personally also really enjoy just seeing the improvement of the land itself, um, through the, you know, fertility of it. Um, but also even just down to, you know, clearing, clearing out brush and trimming trees back and things like that, just making the, the property a, a more enjoyable place overall. Um, oh, yes. um, but yeah. And, and we, one thing we, we wanted to do this past year, uh, that we weren't able to do was, was have, you know, farm tours and, have people out to see, um, our place, um, and, you know, kind of share, share our vision and what we're, what we're doing. Um, and so we're working to, um, do that this year and really hoping that we can start doing that this spring and, um, bring people out and see what we've been working on. Very nice. Yes. Daniel, we're to the part of our show where we have ask our famous four questions. It's the same four questions we ask of all of our guests. We got the idea from the Bigger Pockets podcast. Okay. Your first question: What's your favorite grazing grass related book or resource? Um, for me, I would have to say um, uh, Stockman uh, Grass Farmer magazine. Oh yeah, um, that's been incredibly uh, useful. Um, definitely, as far as uh, just the networking side of it, um, you kind of you know, pretty much everybody who's involved in, in grass fed production, um, seems to go there to, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, advertising a, a product that they, they've got or, um, or, you know, the genetics or cattle or 
seeds, whatever it may be. Um, it seems to be a pretty, um, pretty good place that everybody seems to go. And so finding, finding those connections has been really helpful. Um, and then also the articles that they, they, they put in, um, you know, they, they do a great job of, of, uh, tailoring those articles to be relevant to, you know, the time of year that it is, uh, you know, and, oh, yeah. and the winter, they'll, they'll, you know, talk about winter grazing. And, and so, um, yeah, it's been really, uh, really useful, uh, resource. Very good. It's always one of my favorite days of the month when that comes in the mailbox. Same here. What tool could you not live without on your farm? Um, so, I, yeah, I thought about this one for a little bit because, uh, I, you know, I, we pretty much operate with, uh, we've got our, our truck and tractor, or, you know, have been really significant tools. Um, but I think actually it would be, um, I use a project management software. Um, oh, okay. Do, uh, to schedule all of the work that needs to be done um, and to delegate that to um, other individuals. Um, and it basically uh, works as just a simple, um, well, it, it can be uh, uh, a simple checklist. So um, I'll put in the different tasks and uh, schedule them out and that will pop up for whoever it was assigned to on their phone um, as you know, hey, you know, you need to you know move the cows today, and uh, you can put instructions in there, and, and whatever needs to happen, and they'll go out and uh, move the cows, and when they check that off, uh, it'll notify me that that task has been completed. Uh, oh yeah, I think one of one of the things that really uh, was a huge burden starting out was uh, was just keeping track of everything in my head um, and making sure I didn't forget anything that all the animals were taken care of, you know, the sheep were closed up at night, all of that stuff. And so uh, utilizing this software to schedule that out so that I no longer have to remember it and just can kind of depend on that information popping up when I need to do it um, has been incredibly useful. Um, and, and it's free. I, I use um, Asana is the software I use. And oh, okay. um, there's a free version that pretty much will give you everything you need to, uh, to utilize it. Oh, that. That sounds good. I'm going to have to look into that. I don't think I'm going to tell my wife about it because I don't need a checklist of things to do around here. <laughs> but I am going to look into it on the farm. It's, it's yeah, it's been, yeah, definitely worth, worth every, every bit of it and every bit of the time that it took to learn how to use it and, and schedule oh, yeah. things out. Um, it's, it's saved me a lot as far as um, making sure I don't miss things. Oh, very good. Our third question what do you know now that you wish you knew then, or what would you tell someone just starting out? Um, yeah, I think um, one thing I would definitely say would be uh, to pursue as much as possible getting experience from other people's farms and operations. Um, you know, if you are really interested in doing grass-fed beef to find a farm that's you know, find the, you know, best producer of grass fed beef out there and go, um, spend time. And, uh, even if it costs you money, um, it, it would be worth the education worth the time to go see how that operation is run. Um, you know, and same, same if it's for chickens or, or if it's for everything, um, just to get that education, um, and see it at the scale that it's at, you know, 15 years down the road as well to give you that perspective. Oh, yes. Um, I know we struggled a lot with, uh, with kind of grasping the perspective of, 
you know, all right, well, we can, sure, we can do, you know, 10 chickens this way just fine, but that doesn't necessarily correlate when you need to do 500 chickens. Um, Oh, yeah. Or wash all those eggs. Um, and so <laughs> yeah. uh, seeing it at the scale or where you'd like it to be at um, and being able to work backwards from there to know where to start and exactly how to start, I think, is probably the most significant thing. Um, and uh, I think I think also along with that is, is you know, rec- recognizing that, uh, you know, if, if you're really wanting to start a farm, um, to be able to see that you're also um, going to be starting a business and to look at it in that perspective as well. Oh, yes. Yeah. Great advice there. And Daniel, where can others find out more about you? Uh, yeah, we have a, a website. It's grassrootsranch.com. Um, and then also our, our Facebook page, Grassroots Tulsa, um, and Instagram account. Um, so we, we try to keep it um, pretty well updated. Uh, I think we're posting things uh, multiple times a week, just kind of updates about what we're doing and, and then how we're doing it. Um, and then, uh, of course, our website has got uh, kind of information on the background on our farm and and uh, what we do and the products we sell. Very good. Daniel, we really appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing about your journey. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, really, really great to uh, hear from you. We really appreciate Daniel coming on here and sharing about his journey. One aspect that I hope you got from it was that no matter your background, no matter if you have access to land or not, you can get started. He read a book and started learning, and then located land to lease and started down this path. If this is something that appeals to you, today is a great day to start. A quick reminder about ask your question. There's a question you'd like to ask of one of our guests or just someone in general. Go to our website at grazinggrass.com and click on ask your question and fill out the form there. We have a few questions ready. We'd like to get a few more together for a full episode of questions. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I know I did. Thank you for listening. And if you found something useful, please share it. Share it on your social media. Tell your friends. Get the word out about the podcast. Helps us grow. If you happen to be a grass farmer and you'd like to share about your journey, go to grazinggrass.com and click on Be Our Guest. Fill out the form and I'll be in touch. We appreciate your support by sharing our episodes and telling your friends about it. You can also support our show by buying our merch. We get a little bit back from that. Another way to support the show is by becoming a Grazing Grass Insider. Grazing Grass Insiders enjoy bonus content, monthly Zooms, and discounts. You can visit the website, grazinggrass.com, click on support, and they'll have the links there. Also, if you haven't left us a review, please do. 
It really helps us as people are searching for podcasts. And I was just checking them, and we do not have very many reviews for 2024. So if you haven't left us a review, please do. Until next time, keep on grazing grass.